Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Right, welcome to another Word in Your Ear, in which we talk about one of our favourite artists with one of our favourite people. The favourite artist is Kirsty McCall, as celebrating this extraordinary eight-disc set. Uh, see that girl. Uh, and one of the people involved in it who's written the sleeve notes is, is, of course, Jude Rogers. Hello, Jude. Hello. Hi. Lovely How to see you. you. How you doing? How, how did you first get involved in this? Are you a Kirsty McCall fan going way back or what? Yes. Um, I first got into Kirsty, or I remember first hearing Kirsty. It may have been Fairytale in New York, actually. Yeah, I think it was Fairytale in New York. But the thing that first captivated me was, you know, her doing days and that amazing video. And she just stood out as being a bit different <laughs> to other people. So, yeah, I've been a fan since I was a child. Um um, and I've written things about her over the years. Um, and um, a lovely man called Michael Mulligan, who works for Universal Records, phoned me up uh, one afternoon about ooh, 18 months, two years ago, and said, I'm trying to put together this project. It was a, it's a real labour of love for Michael, who's one of those, you know, people who works in back cataloging labels, who's there, you know, desperately trying to, you know, find tracks, license things, put together these things. Um, as a fan, really... And he said, would you like to do, you know, an essay? <laughs> I always feel like it sounds a bit pretentious calling it an essay, but all in the yes, line. Yes, I know what you mean. And I said, yeah, def- absolutely. And, you know, the, then um, it was, you know, how, how thinking about how to do them and who to speak to was the important thing for me and to tell a story that was about her life. Because the thing that struck me from day one is like there are two things that people talk about when they talk about Kirsty. One is her vocal and fairy tale of New York, and one is her death and the manner of her death. And there's so much more to her than that, you know. Maybe you can just explain, because there's been quite a few um, compilations in the past, understandably, but this, I mean, this is really compre- comprehensive. Give us a, give us a quick uh, sketch of what it consists of, the eight CDs. So it's yeah, eight discs. There is so much unreleased material on it. I think that's what makes it really different. There's an unreleased album 
from 1983. Which I didn't even know about. (laughs) Oh, really? No, I'd never heard of this record. That's extraordinary. The whole album was not put out. Yeah. Yeah, she'd made it and nobody was really interested, which is extraordinary. So she just cracked on and did it. Um, and there are lots of unreleased tracks. There are some, but it's, it's a full survey of her life, basically. From, so you have the albums. BBC you have the sessions. BBC sessions and yeah. collaborations as well. And obviously she's a great collaborator, but um, some that are well-known, um, covers of her songs, you know, Tracy Ullman's on there. Um, you know, there are people that you may have forgotten that she worked with, you know. There's a, there's a really early song of her singing with her stepmother, Peggy Seeger, and her daddy, Hugh McCall, is on it as well. So it's a, it goes from 1976 to 2000. Right, right. It's interesting that so she's really known for material by other people, really, isn't she? You know, Days mm. and New England and Fairytale New York. And that this, I mean, hopefully this will, this will tilt things more in favour of the stuff she did herself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's... It's a bit sad that in some ways, you know, not to put down the fact that she's just a brilliant interpreter of other people's songs. Um, uh, Johnny Marr said of her once, um, you know, she could take somebody else's song and make it her own. And that is absolutely true. You know, that could seem like a cliche, but it's absolutely true. You know, she turns days into something quite different. Um, You know, Billy Bragg, says, you know, her version of a New England is the version of a New England. You know, he, that's the version he plays gigs. Um, and I spoke to him, obviously, you've got to speak to Billy Bragg for a Kirsty McCall boxer. And he told me about the story of them putting together that version and Kirsty having invited him over for a full English breakfast, which I loved. Very Kirsty McCall. And, you know, say, bring it, you know, if you've got any spell legs, bring them over, we'll work it out, you know. And by the end of, I don't know, the fried egg, they'd sorted it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember a time when I didn't know of Kirsty McCall. It's very difficult to, uh, it, I, I suppose, I remember her through a very early record on Stiff. Um, and and then the, there's a guy who works down the chip shop, swears he's Elvis, which came we out. We put on the pop- cover of Smash Hits, didn't we? She was, I was, yeah, she's on the cover of Smash Hits. And, and of course, you know, in her... In her career, she wasn't on the cover of many magazines, I wouldn't have yeah. thought, you know. Um, but there she was on the cover of Smash Hits with, with an extraordinary hairdo, I seem to remember. There was a... Uh, you must have seen this picture, which, uh, you know, extraordinary kind of extensions going on over here. Oh, I have, yes, I have, yeah. As if, as if she could... Um, she she never quite came to terms with how to be photographed. I got that feeling, you know what I mean? That it was it caused her great anxiety, I suppose. That she never she never fitted into any kind of, you know, uh, neat stereotype of a yeah. female pop star, I suppose, you know. Uh, which can't have been easy for her at all, you know. No. And 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 that's the thing that strikes you throughout the career. She zipped about absolutely all over the map, didn't she? You know. And go back to the story of the the, the album that didn't come out it was a kind of electronic album, wasn't it? it was yeah. Sort of in the in the shadow of the Human League almost, wasn't it? Tell us about that. Yeah, she was um, she was a really big fan of early Simple Minds as well, actually. And yeah. through them, she met Steve Lillywhite, you know, her who became her husband, the you know very celebrated producer, another person who basically spent 
an hour and a half on the phone to me trying to tell me how she was a better producer than him. <laughs> but um, yeah, she was um, really into, you know, synths and just wanted to, you know, play with them. But I, I got the sense from talking to various people who were around her in those early days, you know, people like Lou Edmonds, um, you know, who's still in Public Image Limited, who, you know, has written with her over the years. Um, um, and I spoke to Philip Bodger, who's an engineer on Real, who went on to work, you know, for the Kathy Dennis and the Lighthouse family and bands like this. That, you know, because she had this interest in lots of different genres, again, it was like people, the labels didn't know, really know what to do with her. No, they didn't. Um, Lou said early on that because she'd had this hit, her first hit was, um, you know, the, the the guy who works down the chip shop. Um, you know, it, they wanted to kind of almost make more novelty hits out of yep. what she did. Um, because she had a quality to her writing, which was funny and stood out. And obviously in... Well, with female artists especially, that was a novelty having those kind of cheeky, wry lyrics. And if you think of female pop stars over the years, there's not many people who've had success doing that kind of thing. Lily Allen is the one who... No, you know, that's true. Jumps that's up so me, true, because it's so humorous, isn't it? You broke yeah. my heart in 17 places, one of the or whatever, you know, that most people wrote about wrote about love in a slightly forlorn and suffering way and but she just sent up the whole absurdity of things going wrong oh you know um i remember when i was in the very early days of word um dave talking about kirsty and why he you know he wanted there to be a kirsty mccall musical and i was i, I remember thinking i'm gonna like this guy because <laughs> um this is a good idea um but talking about you know the way that um, I, I, was, I think he was um talking about tropical brainstorm her last album and England to Columbia Nil, which it's, is so savage. It's brilliant. But hilarious. Um, but she could also do stuff that was funny, but also very, very sad. Um, off that album as well as a track, which is one of my favourites of hers, um, Autumn Girl Soup. Right. Um, I'm, you know, which has got these lovely lines about her being an autumn girl, you know, wanting um, on the endless search for summer. But there's this bit about love. I, I'm going to read this bit out because I've, I've written this down here. I think it's my favourite cursed lyric. It's using a metaphor in a way that's so unusual, but so brilliant. Get me on the boil and reduce me to a simmering wreck with a slow kiss to the back of my neck. Carve up my heart on a very low flame. Separate my feelings, then pour them down the drain. So you know, who could have, you know, these cooking metaphors and make them sound so sharp and funny but also really touch, you know, carve up my heart, you know, re reduce me, you know. Like she's she, could, she, could, she was brilliant. <laughs> she was brilliant at that. Um, you know, a lot of people can 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 fasten upon a good a good gimmick idea for a song, but she could take a metaphor and she could follow it all the way through yeah. the song. She could absolutely develop it, and. Uh, and of course, the one you referred to, England to Columbia nil, which I think you, you say in the um, in, in, in the in the piece in the in the booklet was based on a, on a real life experience. You know, that yeah. She, that after a marriage with Steve Lillywhite had come to an end, and she was she was um, she had some affair with a guy who who did turn out to have three children and a, and a wife. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. A and actually, then... three children. And, you know, so he went to a pub in Belsize Park and we cheered on England as the skies went dark, you know. And uh, and then it turns out you, you never told me you had three children, you never said you had a wife. 
Now it's England two, Colombia nil, and I know just how those Colombians feel. Oh, it's so great! It's so it's clever. A, it's a brilliant song, and it's not the only one. You know, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to go on about my my um, my pet idea of a Kirsty McCall musical which I know will never happen, but I've utterly developed it in my head. I, I don't have the skills to do it. But it's called it's called In These Shoes, question mark, which is just a perfect title for a musical. It is set in, do you want to hear how I developed this? It's mm. set, it set in, uh, in rehearsals for a TV dance show. That's how it works. The, the 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 musical signature of the thing is is that kind of Latin sound that she you know developed on those those later records, and basically it, its main characters you have you have five women of different ages who are all competing in this dance show, and they via various Kirsten McCall songs they talk about their own personal experiences. That's amazing. So you've got things like "Don't Come the Cowboy with Me, Sunny Jim." You, you know, the first half ends within these shoes, you know, which is everybody knows that song. And the second half ends, obviously, because musicals have to end at Christmas. It ends with A Fairy Tale of New York. And I'm sorry, it's a massive smash. If somebody Dave Hepworth impresario. I love that it. is simply brilliant, Dave. So doesn't Mark Nevin, who I think co-wrote There's a Guy Who Works Down the Chip Shop, didn't he say, maybe in your notes actually, that, um, that, that there was a theme developing? Um, that, you know, the old blokes are going to lie and cheat and let you down. And that became a theme running through a lot of her songs. I mean, that's fairly true to say, isn't it? Yeah, it, you know, she was, um, I think she was, you know, scarred, maybe a bit full on, but I think she was in some ways by kind of that knowledge of what men were like from her relationship with her father. Um yeah. And um, which was complicated and distant, wasn't it? And he, yeah, he, he left her mum for another woman, etc. Yeah, she has a half brother, Neil McCall, who's yeah, a yeah. brilliant guitarist and well known, you know, musician with lots of different bands. Six months after her, I think, or was it six months before? It was, you know, it was that window. Somebody was pregnant when somebody else was becoming pregnant. Um, but yeah, and um, he would you know, drift in you know, on weekends to see her. They did, you know, he did see her, but then he'd say, oh yeah, I'm off until three weeks by. And that was basically it. So she, she was very much brought by a mother who, her mother's, you know, a very amazing kind of um, dancer and was a, an assistant to the guy who ran the Trinity Levant Conservatoire. You know, she was an eminent, you know, um, artistic force herself. And she gave it all up to look after her daughter. So all these things, you know, obviously fed into the you know, development of who Kirsty was. She was a really, really clever kid. She had an yeah. incredible IQ. This is an amazing clip that you can see on the BBC iPlayer online about her when she's about six or seven um, on this programme about, you know, exceptionally clever kids. And I've had some people send me messages since the boxes come up saying, oh, I was, I was in school with her and she was a real force of nature, you know, somebody to be reckoned with. I've not seen um, this. What, what happens in the clip? She's, she's eight, she's six, is she? Six or seven, I think. Um, and she kind of um is you know, it's 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 her little tiny face. It's really quite moving to see it. Um and um she's asked, you know, what do you think of your school? Um and she goes, Oh, it's just horrible. <laughs> um but she she was in mainstream schooling as well because she was really ill as a kid. She had very severe asthma and she could not be out a lot of the time. It was something that she you know, got over as she got older. So she had all this stuff going on in her childhood, but still had this very forthright personality, 
in the mix. Um, and you think of all those contradictions and you, when you listen to her songwriting, and it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was the case. I mean, she she did have a lot of people in the, within the music business who thought she, fant- she was fantastic for loads Ooh. and loads of different reasons. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, so it wasn't that her talent was overlooked at all. It wasn't. You know, there were loads of people who thought she was brilliant. But what they all found was they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. yeah they, there, was no, there was no slot you could put her in at all, really. And it, it's just one of those, it's one of those tragic truths, isn't it, really? You know, you, can, mm. you, can, you can't see what they could have done different. Would you, would you say that's the case? Yeah, you know, I think she was slightly reticent to become part of the machine as well, you know, which is fair enough if that's not what she wanted to do. But, you know, you think about how her songs launched Tracy Ullman's massive American career. And um, Vi, Vi of Dave Robinson's wife's hairdresser, is that right? That is right, yeah. <laughs> yeah tell that story. Oh, that's brilliant. So Tracy Ullman's in a hairdresser next to Dave Robinson's stiff record's wife, and they just get chatting. And this is the early days of Tracy Ullman doing bits of TV. Yeah. And, yeah, she says, um, oh, you know, um, I reckon you should do some singing. Have you heard these songs? Because they, they had all these songs of, of Kirsty's. That had, you know, not been hits and yeah, yeah. almost knew that, you know, what I find interesting is like, you imagine a lot of female artists, not not necessarily female artists who are, you know, their songs are given to somebody else and they make them really famous. You know, you might be a bit bitter, <laughs> you might be a bit cross, um, but Kirsty really supported Tracy and she, there was a note Tracy couldn't sing that amazing. Oh, I can't sing it, obviously. Baby on um yeah. You did very uh, well there, June. Yeah, I was about yeah, to have a go myself. You did very well. There we well. go. Not bad for an alto from South Wales. Um, but um, yeah, she um she did the, that note and they kept in touch. And you know, I everyone I contacted to be interviewed for this box set just threw themselves at it. 
And I thought, right, I really want to get Tracy Ullman. I'll never get Tracy Ullman. You know, there's no way of finding who she is. I literally sent, you know, an email through a American management contact form on a website. Within a day, I was like, yes, I want to talk about her. Right. And I Zoomed for about an hour with Tracy Ullman. And she was so gushing and lovely and talked about this day they'd spent together in 2000, you know, which is the last year of Tracy's life where Kirsty just gone over and spent a day with Tracy talking about their lives and their kids and they drank loads of tea and hung out. And, and I just thought, wow, it's amazing that she's, um, you know, she's found, she obviously found a connection in her and sustained that friendship. But um, what I loved, the one thing that's stuck in my head talking about this record and it's, I interviewed James Knight, who was her partner, um, you know, was there when she died. Um, and he said that she, um, you know, if she was interested in you, she was all in. She was completely committed. And if you let her down, she was devastated. You know, she, there were these big emotions. But she said she was also, can I swear in this? I don't know, can Ooh, I swear? Yes. <laughs> she was also a fucking roller coaster. Right. So there's this combination of this stuff. And I think people love that in songs a lot of the time. We love these big emotions and all this kind of stuff. We don't necessarily know how to handle that in people. <laughs> yeah. um, and maybe, you know, the record labels found it hard to try and gauge what to do and control her. But um, but lots of know, people identify with her as a kind of, connected with her as a kind of kindred spirit, didn't they? French and yeah. Saunders are a really good example. And you thought yeah. that that would really help her career because they really collaborated with her and promoted her. But it didn't make a vast amount of difference, as you say, because she couldn't, it was just she needed to be marketed in a certain way, didn't she? Yeah. And when you hear an album like Kite, though, you just think... This is amazing. All the songs are amazing. Mm. Um, um, Electric Landladies. No, actually, all of them. You know, um, you know, do you, do you um, think Titanic Days. I think is amazing. You know, that's one that's kind of you know. Yeah. Again, I came up on ZTT, and you know, you notice she just came out on different record labels all the time because she was dropped or moved about. And do you think you know, there's, a, there's a case that 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 we have difficulty dealing with? Uh, songwriters who are kind of self-deprecating about themselves who who's who, who's very their songwriting style is kind of I, I describe a life where i'm a bit of a mess where it kind of goes wrong you know what i mean and that uh, and that people have difficulty kind of giving giving the appropriate image to somebody who's like that do you think that's the case i think it's much more the case with women actually you know think of morrissey right um, maybe not these days, <laughs> but at his, you know, in his pomp, 80s and 90s, the way he was treated by the press, you know, he was actually, you know, after the Union Jack nonsense and all that, you know, he was still, you know, held up very high in the press. Um, he was allowed to whinge and moan and be self-deprecating as much as he would and was sort of put on a pedestal, you know, um, by mm. a lot of people. It's really struck me, like, she, this, it's, it's, it's brilliant that this box set has got a lot of attention and, you know, people are talking about it. I've been on Woman's Hour talking about it. It's been brilliant. But there haven't been any massive pieces in music magazines. And, that, um, you know, there have been lots of, there's lots, lots of great coverage, but I want to read, like, the eight-page feature. That would have been in Word, obviously. Of course it would. <laughs> um, but um, she doesn't Why get do you think there haven't been, though? What, why, is that, do, why do you think there haven't been pieces in the music? I mean, the... Do you think it's just not part of their agenda somehow, Kirsty McColl? I mean, I think she gets overlooked because she was female, and I think that's just the way it was, really. You know, kind of, um, there are a few, you know, there are your Jonies and your Kate Bushes who are sort of also, you know, amazing artists, but also really gorgeous <laughs> when they were young. You know, 
not that Kirsty wasn't, you know, very attractive, but she wasn't, she didn't fit in your typical idea of somebody who's miss you know, Kate Bush and Joni Mitchell have a mystery about them, right? I tell you, no it's mystery real. about Kirsty. No, I know what you mean. But it, no it's, mystery. It, it's it's interesting. You talk about Kate Bush and Joni Mitchell, I couldn't help notice this because yesterday was Joni Mitchell's 80th birthday. Yeah, right? it was. And yeah. you couldn't move on social media for kind of gushing tributes to Joni Mitchell. I thought, hang on, when Joni Mitchell was 40, nobody was doing this. When Joni Mitchell was 15, nobody was doing this at all. It was just Joni Mitchell. She's part of the furniture. Whereas now, you know, it kind of takes a long time. And a similar thing happened with Kate Bush. Not so, not sort of, not quite so late in life. Mm. But, you know, when Kate Bush was thirty, people weren't going around saying we're very blessed to be sharing the planet with Kate Bush, were they? You know, these these things can very often take a long time for these think, uh, things. Yeah, I think it's also around. because you know, obviously, there are you know, we're at a time now where there are older musicians who are not with us anymore. So the ones we still have, we're celebrating more, and also. Um, you know, this is the first time in human history when pop stars have turned 80. You know, I know there's been yeah, other versions of celebrity mm. in the past, but, you know. That's true. It's a benchmark, isn't it? Yeah. That's mm. absolutely yeah. right. But do you think that her sort of legacy is expanding in the way that, say, Nick Drake's is? I mean, you still feel that Nick Drake is getting bigger as a concept every day. Do you mm. think that's happening with her? I'd like it to. Um, I think, you know, a box set like this, which has all these different examples of her work in so many genres and stuff you know can only do that a little bit more um again he Nick Drake's a mysterious character I think Kirsty, you know she's mysterious in a very different way you know the fact that you know she can write these incredibly cutting savage sensitive songs that absolutely nail things um maybe we're kind of um People are getting more into those ideas of, you know, I, I, I hate to say, you know, allowing women to kind of express themselves like that and allowing them to enjoy women expressing themselves like that. You know, I'm sure when Kirsty first came along, you know, I'd love to know more from you by this, Dave, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of how she stood out in the punk scene. You know, obviously there's lots of women who were standing out in the punk scene, but she, she was never interested in being fashionable, actually. No, that's and I think it. That's, I think that's maybe something really interesting about Kirsty is... She was never like, right, I'm going to make a synth pop album because it's trendy. She was like, no, I love, I love that, the early Simple Mind stuff. You know, I love Glittering Price. So I'm going to make something that's influenced by, by this. You know, she made an album influenced by Cuban music because she was really into Cuban music. Yeah. Not yeah. because, you know, the Buena Vista Social Club. You know, she was just, and she'd been into it since she was a kid, you know. Um, so, yeah, maybe because she's... Um, doesn't sit within fashion very easily, you know. That, I, I think people are more open to letting that in. I really hope she kind of, um, you know, hearing songs of hers will, you know, expand this stuff. And it is lovely that she is known, you know, even though she is known for Fairy Tale in New York. You know, we hear her every year. Yes. Um, and lots of people know her. You know, um, you know, people I know I've told about this box. I said, oh, I love her voice. And they know that because of that song, most people. Yeah. Um, and so if they hear that there are this voice is on so many other songs, then hopefully that will extend her legacy in that way. Right, right. So Can what you think your, of any what, singers who have been influenced by her? I was asked this recently, and I thought this is quite interesting because it's hard to see a sort of direct legacy. Um, 
I was in a cafe yesterday after being on Woman's Hour and um, LDN by Lily Allen came on, which instantly, I have to say, took me back to the word offices in 2005. And uh, Mark Allen jumping up going, James, I want you to interview this new singer. I think she's good. She wears big skirts and trainers. Um, and um, it was, it's got the sample from a gig track. I can't remember what it is. It goes, da, 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 da. And I thought, God, this is Kirsty McCall. It's kind of like kind of like the sampling in these shoes. You're using it in a similar way, and she's talking about London, how she loves it, and how it's a bit shit. And and I thought, wow. But I don't know if she's influenced by Kirsty, but I'm sure she was around that music, Lily Allen, with her, you know, very, you know, going to Glastonbury with Joe Strummer and a dad and a mum being in, you know, the arts or whatever. I'm sure she might have been exposed to it. Um, and after her, obviously, there were people like, you know. Um, Oh, what was her name? God, how quickly forget Kate, uh, Kate Nash. Um, there were there was a kind of surge of women like that. I think younger female artists seem to be more earnest and serious these days. Yeah, There's not yeah. as much humour, which I yeah. I'm sad about. So um, you've got this this um, you know as we said, it's eight eight CDs. Um, you know, BBC recordings, other people's songs, or whatever. Which which of these are, 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 are you most personally attached to? Do you think people ought to ought to attend to? Of the CDs, oh, that's hard. Um, you know, I'd say part of me say if you want a kind of introduction, go to the singles because you've got that's the first disc, which is you know twenty one songs. Starts with they don't know and finishes in these in these shoes, and you see the range of, you know, her talent. You know, country kind of mambo. You know, um, um, her song Caroline, which is an answer record to Jolene from the nineties, which was on her Best of Galore, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, and it's got it's got this lovely kind of range of stuff. I really like listening to her collaborations as well. Um, because she could just blend really kind of easily into these amazing songs. There's an Alison Moyer track, and you, and you can barely know it's her. It's called Wishing You Were Here, and Alison Moyer put it on the credits that Kirsty was the Elysian Chorus, which I loved, Elysian Chorus. I never know right. how to say that. But kind of, but you, she could sit back when she wanted to, and she could, you know, stand out when she wanted to. Um, Soho Square is always one of my favourites as well, and there's a lovely BBC session on Disc 7. And there's some real house banging remix, banging house remixes, which um, I sort of helped get by when I was talking to James Knight, her partner. Um, Kirsty loved listening to crazy house remixes of her songs. She listened to her songs a lot as well, which I thought was interesting. Right, right. She liked so, to kind of see what these things were and had quite often had all night listening sessions with lashings of red wine, listening to all kinds of stuff. And some nights were dedicated to listen to her own music and trying to work out, you know, kind of what to do next. Well, there it is. You know, as they used to say in the old newspaper ad, all human life is there. <laughs> uh, eight discs. Uh, Kirsty McCall, see that girl. Get it for Christmas. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hey. 